Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the AFCA program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundation and, like Judd, have served at the National Security Council as well as the U.S. State Department and Senate Foreign Relations. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Namibia, and we are joined by Shinovine Emmanuel, Investigations Editor at The Namibian. Judd, can you give us a short history of U.S. policy towards Namibia? I'll give it my best shot. In the 1960s, African governments increased the pressure on the United States to support Namibian independence from South Africa, which had controlled the area since the end of World War I, first under a League of Nations mandate and later in defiance of the UN, which revoked South Africa's mandate in 1966. The United States did have contact with SWAPO, the Southwest People's Organization. They gave scholarships to their leaders and their supporters, but then Secretary of State Kissinger ended the program. Finally, under the Carter administration, the United States became more active. In 1977, the Western Contact Group was formed, including Canada, France, West Germany, the United Kingdom, and the United States. And in the following year, UN Security Council passed UN Resolution 435, which called for a ceasefire and a UN-supervised election to usher in Namibian independence. The United States, especially under President Reagan, viewed the fate of Angola and Namibia as tied together. This was the idea of linkage, that the Cubans would withdraw from Angola and the South Africans would depart Namibia, and that became the animated theory of the case behind U.S. policy towards the region. Reagan's Assistant Secretary Chet Crocker saw Namibia as a litmus test case and that the United States would first start with Namibia before moving on to South Africa. He said it was a sequential thing. The United States established a liaison office in Vinhook in the 1980s, and eventually negotiations succeeded. A UN-led transition resulted in Namibian penance in 1990, and new president Sam Niyama was the first African leader to meet with U.S. President Bill Clinton in 1993. Since its independence, U.S. relations with Namibia have been cordial, although Namibian elite remember that the U.S. did not support their struggle for a very long time. There have also been disagreements on several foreign policy issues. One former ambassador said U.S. interest has been stability and keeping Namibia in the Democratic column. Nicole, do you want to talk about U.S. success or failure? Sure, happy to. So, you know, I think... In terms of success or failure, I might cheat a bit and say Namibia is a little bit of the middle ground, which, you know, and I think when it comes to focus policy, that might be on the failure side. I'm not sure that there's been egregious mistakes here in recent years, but I will say that when we say that U.S. relationship with Namibia is cordial, it is also quite cool. And, you know, I think it's going to be pretty important as we think about the future of Southern Africa generally to make sure that we are acknowledging Namibia a little more explicitly in our work. So when we engage South Africa, sequentially or otherwise, and when we think about Botswana as sort of a democratic champion, I think it's important to also really consider Namibia in that group so that we start to think 
about how to focus on that at the same point. And I don't think we've done that yet. So I don't think we've spent the energy to make clear that Namibia is not sort of this secondary country to other parts of the region. Because they are part of SADC, you know, I think that's particularly important. We have not done a good job, despite, I think, a lot of effort in engaging SADC in any kind of particularly productive way. And SADC, of course, the Southern African Development Community, which is the regional bloc uh, of the AU that's really focused on economic and political challenges down south. So the other issue here, I think, where we have not gone as far as we could is around AGOA, so the African Growth and Opportunity Act. Namibia is a recipient of AGOA. They are a champion of AGOA, and it supports duty-free market access in a country that has really wanted to grow. When we think about what it means to be a democratic nation, as you know, has been described as our main goal diplomatically in Namibia, I think that's that's hard to support when a nation might not feel taken seriously on any other issue, particularly economically. So I do think there's a lot of room for us to do better there, and we haven't to date. Okay, Shinovene, Nicole set you up really nicely for some ideas, but if you were in the driver's seat, if you were in the Oval Office and President Biden said, what should the strategy be towards your country, what would you tell him? I think the two of you really summed it up very well in terms of the historical background and the look on what has been happening, especially in the last, let's say, 20 years. I think the U.S. relationship with Namibia has been, I think, since independence, they mostly thrived after independence. That is from 1990. I always tell, there's a certain story that I always referred back uh, when we grew up as kids. There were police vans that they used by the police, but we used to call them Michael Jackson vans because they were Chevrolet pickup vans that uh, people always basically, when they saw it, they saw either the U.S. or, you know, Michael Jackson. And that's a thing that I always probably remember mostly from the 90s. I mean, I was still a, a young boy by then, but you used to, you know, relate easily to that. To go back to the question on uh, what uh, Biden's strategy will be, it's a really tricky one because at the moment Namibia is eyeing to the east mostly in terms of business opportunities, in terms of allies, like they more leaning towards uh, getting business in Dubai, in China. Because I'm guessing, like Nicole said, it's probably Namibia feels, look, we have tried, we have gone to the US several times, we've gone on exports, but we're simply not getting enough. One of the key issues will be focus on areas that America is known for, and that is one of the areas is really good governance, supporting Namibia's good governing structures. And uh, one thing that happened that was really something that stood out, probably never done in Namibia, um, the U.S. government announced that uh, they are blacklisting two former cabinet ministers who are currently in jail awaiting trial regarding a corruption scandal. Now, this was not expected, but there were the lobbies around the U.S. to put its voice because it would add such a strong voice to the cries of the people who feel that the country, there's a lot of issues regarding corruption and so on, and China and other countries, their policies, we don't want to speak out because that's like interfering. But this was really seen as a good decision by the U.S. to announce that uh, they are taking measures like banning these two ministers who are accused of corruption. So one of the, of the policies that I think is already working is targeting or focusing on helping Namibia improve its uh, governance structure because that is more of a long term. It will not uh, 
only last for now because even what happened today is the company that is accused of corruption and bribing these two ministers issued a statement out of the blue since the story broke out it's called the fish rod scandal it, when it broke out in uh, 2019 the company has been on a tack combatic mode you know going after the whistleblowers going after reporters but in this case today they all of a sudden issued a, a statement saying we are sorry namibia we should have done better we we promise this will never happen again kind of thing so uh, that's just one of the pillar that i hope the us can really continuously push i mean even in the background but hopefully through other structures as well so judd you've got everything from corruption to commerce here how do you begin to have namibia in the foreground as much as the background on us policy so i'm realistic that we're probably not having namibia interagency policy meetings all the time but something that you said nicole and then building on what chenavene said is that first of all When we talk about South Africa, Botswana or other issues, the exercise of saying how does Namibia fit into this is really something that can unlock new thinking because it's too often that we sort of look at countries just as those countries and not think about the synergies and President Gengab and Swapo have linkages all across the region and so how do we sort of leverage that? And I'll get back to that on the foreign policy side too. Shinovene talked about anti-corruption and what the US did around the fish rod and I think that's really important. Namibia particularly with this history of neglect and sort of reluctance to support the the liberation and sore feelings about that. How do we think about Namibia as a pilot country to do some things that are kind of, you know, a little more radical, a little different to try out new things whether it's pressing a just a little harder on anti-corruption or doing a digital program and seeing what works. And Namibia does have the infrastructure of South Africa. It does have a lot of strengths that I think are are often overlooked. So thinking about what kind of things that we can do in Namibia, how do we unleash the creativity of the US government in a country like Namibia and then think about scaling could be really powerful. And the last part is the foreign policy side, right? So Shinovene said that they're facing east. And if you looked at the history of Namibia, you know that they had relationships with a lot of countries that have not been the US's favorite. But how do we tap into that? How do we see Namibia as a interlocutor that could be helpful on foreign policy that could be some place where we are with our allies we can partner particularly non-traditional allies and with our adversaries that Namibia can help us understand the difference of opinion and maybe translate when we are having in this period of geostrategic competition so those are a couple of my ideas but Shinovene I'm going to ask you to top it and come up with something pretty big like what's a big idea a crazy idea you know how do we transform this partnership At the moment I think it's a tough one not necessarily probably a crazy one but because I'm more thinking beyond the policy stuff the formal stuff the going by the book stuff one example that really stands out and I think I had spoken about it in our previous podcast is about either you match what China and other countries like Russia are doing or you lose that ground in terms of having either to push for certain values democratic values and stuff like that one good example will be is like for instance in namibia in the capital city we have uh, a school called mao zedong is a school right and just uh, outside windhoek there is a, another school funded by korea at the university there is a full school a school on learning chinese if you are to look at where do you get uh, to nurture people to understand 
American tradition, American way of things, American democracy, I would probably suggest, you know, one of the things that currently the U.S. does is, I think they have, uh, the U.S. has up to 123 peace corps in Namibia. They, they are out there doing really good stuff in communities and villages. You know, one of my suggestions would be, why not consider, you know, build a school in one of the villages in the country or in the city where people will be taught the values of a good democracy, good schooling. From there, they can then go through the programs that are already existing, which, for instance, the Namibian, uh, the U.S. Embassy in, in Windhoek is so, doing so well in terms of uh, helping the, the gap after you just, either you just graduate from school or you, you're just uh, on your way up trying to get into, you know, high level universities. So my suggestion would be, I think education is one of the key ones. If you, you know, dedicate a bit of resources on that one, for all I know, I'm sure, this school currently in Windhoek, the Mao Zedong High School, it's in one of the most, uh, you know, informal settlement, but it's, it's a result, you won't see it now, not in the next 10 years, but in 2040, you'll see that all these people will, will either probably know mostly about Chinese culture, Chinese history, and all those things. So that's probably will be my crazy idea is maybe how about a really good high school that will nurture and teach children as they grow up and teach them the good things of being good people and, and focusing on democratic uh, issues. And then the other stuff can still be done, but more of policy-related stuff. So, Shinovine, speaking of education, President Trump infamously called Namibia Nambia, about which we all remain entirely humiliated. Can you talk to us about how Namibians reacted? Any viral memes from the president's stunning ignorance about your country and any repair work that can help? For those in PR who will probably say, look, that's actually more promoting promotion. Namibia is, as everyone knows, it's not the, the troublemaking country or country that is known for, for either gross uh, human rights violations or issues like that. So, so, but I personally saw it as, you know, it's, it's a, a kind of a free advert. We were uh, probably being lauded for our good uh, progress on malaria, which is really something Namibia is proud of in terms of fighting it, you know, but uh, I think the fact that People will probably watch that clip and then they could relate to what the president said and the, really the good remarks. I think the typo will probably over, uh, actually overshadowed and people, you know, had made fun of it. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people really accepted it as, you know, as a slip of a tongue and not really <laughs> at a, a go at like other comments that the, the, uh, the former president had made against um, Africa, for instance. So that one I saw it as really as a, a free advert, I might say. I did see a lot of advertisements of, of travel to Nambia, according to President Trump. But I don't think that we should advise people to mispronounce countries' names in the hopes that that generates free publicity. So I'll just, I'll just add that. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.